0: It's, you can find Purity Pledge examples, like if you Google image right now, mm-hmm. and it is, I'm going to read you one. Um, oh, please do. So I'm just like, if, if you've never seen one, here's an example. Yeah. I am making a commitment to myself, my family, and my creator that I will abstain from sexual activity of any kind before marriage. I will keep my body and my thoughts pure as I trust in God's perfect plan for my life. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Bad in Bed, the queer sex education podcast. I'm Gabrielle Cassell. I use she, her pronouns.
2: And I'm Bobby Box. I use he, him pronouns.
1: And we are both queer sex educators and sex journalists. Later in the episode, we're going to be bringing on Erica Smith to talk about all things purity culture. But first, Bobby, you said that you wanted to talk to me about nudes.
2: Yeah. So... As a recently single gay man, Mom. bisexual man, or- whatever you want to call me, fluid, e? queer, <laughs> I'm just going to list all of them. <laughs> um, I, I've been in the habit, like, you know, that it kind of has to happen again. You know, like you got to start, you got to take some new pictures because nobody wants to see what you looked like three years ago. They want to see new ones. So I'm getting in the habit of taking them. And I've been like, you might relate to this because we both grew up in like the pre-internet age where Mm -hmm. like uh, having your photos like or your nudes leaked was like the biggest scandal ever
1: yes yes i remember when it happened to kim kardashian
2: yeah yeah and like obviously that launched her career and everything but like yeah like the paris hiltons the kim kardashians it was like seen as career and well it's actually the opposite but it was seen as like you know what i'm not gonna send nudes because this will happen and then my life will be ruined Ah! and now it's like Our nudes are everywhere. Like, it's literally OnlyFans is like, monetized that very idea.
1: And even, like, raunchy Twitter, which hasn't monetized it, but, like, raunchy Twitter has taken off.
2: Oh, yeah. I would say 80% of the gay men I follow on Twitter have an alt account is what we call them. And that's basically where you, like, retweet porn, take nudes, just post them free, you know, take a look, validation, kind of like Instagram but X-rated.
1: So when you say that you've been taking nudes, do you mean that you take them when you're naked as a way to stockpile photos? Or do you only take them when you're like sexting with somebody from Grindr? Yeah.
2: No, you know what? I, I am absolutely a stockpiler. Like I'm like, this is your photo session. Get them set up. Like you're good for the next few months. You know, like let's... I'm absolutely never in the moment because honest, let me be quite frank. When I am sexting, I'm probably on the couch like in you know, not the most flattering, you know, like, it's like, no, you don't want to see me like this. Let me, let me show you pictures of when I was feeling myself, you know, and not physically. I just mean like feeling myself.
1: <laughs> I, I don't stockpile. If I'm horny sexting somebody, I'm horny. And so like, for me, it is incredibly horny making, like it boosts my arousal okay. to take a really sexy photo for someone. So I kind of like, like the experience of like, putting on an outfit and then like, Getting oh, my lighting God. set up and then mm-hmm. taking and posing. I'm posing for people can't see me, but I'm yeah, like yeah, posing yeah. as we talk. And then and then and then being like, I just took a really sexy photo. Are you in a place where I can send it to you?
2: Also, let me please say that what you asking consent before sending, sexiest thing ever.
1: Well, have have you ever gotten a sexy photo in an inopportune time? It's so
2: awkward. And it's also like, you know what? Let me ask, like, you know, we might be sexting, but like, you know, uh, an image might be, you know, crossing the line, even if you are in the mood, you know? Like, it's just nice to ask and get consent beforehand.
1: Even somebody who I'm really into and like we have previously exchanged nudes, I've been sent a nude when I'm like, shopping with my mom or like at my mom's house and then it's awkward because I'm not checking my phone or I like I'm like "Ah, yeah yeah and then I don't respond to the hot naked person who just sent me a photo at an inopportune time and then they Mm -hmm. take it personally and then it snowballs and it's a whole thing
2: all right well let me confess something right now um not about me actually about you (laughs) (laughs)
1: where is this going
2: I'm surprised that you send nudes say more I I, th- I thought that you might be the type to send and be paranoid of them like you know you just be like, I'm not gonna do this. never mind. like I, I, I'm not going to.
1: Okay, let me tell you what recently happened. Okay. I don't send pure nudes. <laughs> like, okay. I'm wearing something. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I had an ex a year after we broke up text mm-hmm. me asking for consent to masturbate to the nudes that I had sent them.
2: I remember this.
1: And it's interesting because you and I are like, ask for consent, ask for consent, ask for consent. And that statement still stands. But it was an incredibly weird text for me to get. It made me feel really disgusting and weird. Um, The person was like, totally okay if the answer is no, but I do still have these images of you on my phone. Are you okay if I use them while I self-pleasure? And like, I so appreciate that they asked for consent Mm -hmm. and also... I said no. I said I said I so appreciate you asking. I'd prefer you just delete them. But it definitely reminded me that the shit you take lasts forever and can like right. live on someone's phone long after you have any interaction or engagement with them at all.
2: Yeah, that's no and that is that's a very unique circumstance cuz I feel like like you said it's nice that they asked consent, but it's also weird in the way that a lot of people just probably wouldn't have asked. Do you know what I mean? Like they would have just done it because it's already on their phone. Well,
1: I think too, if I asked one of my best friends, if I was like, hey, I have these photos of my ex. Like, do you think it's kosher for me to masturbate to them? Yeah. I I think for sure my friends would be like, GK, delete that shit. Like yes. move on, move yeah, on, like move self-care. on.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Okay, let's totally switch gears. Yes. Let's invite on Erica Smith. We're going to talk about purity culture. I can't wait to chat with her. Hey, listener. Do you know what a thruster sex toy is? Thruster sex toys are hands-free sex toys that are designed to move in and out, in and out of your hole at speed. In most cases, simulating a kind of penis and vagina or penis and anus sex. Typically, thruster sex toys are kind of ugly and big and cumbersome. A lot of them look like the love child of a telescope and a dildo, right? They take up a lot of room. Luckily, Fun Factory made a luxury version, smaller size, can fit in your hand, iteration of the thruster sex toy, and it's called the Sundays. The Sundays is about the size of an average dildo and is designed to thrust in and out of your hole, in a way that feels good. This toy can also vibrate, meaning it's the ultimate two-for-one product. If you enjoy the sensation of something going in and out, 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 in and out you get what I'm saying. Check the toy out at funfactory.com. Today, we are joined by Erica Smith, who is a queer sex educator based in Philadelphia. She's the creator of the Purity Culture Dropout Program, which works primarily with folks who were raised with evangelical beliefs and backgrounds around sexuality. Erica, we are
0: so excited to have you on the pod. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I was like very excited for this exclusive invite.
2: Honestly, I just did a huge study session on your uh, Instagram account. And it is so good. Like, thank on, you. It's, it's such like, even for someone like me who maybe wasn't directly impacted by it, I was like, these messages are very affirming. So I want to thank awesome. you for all that.
0: Yeah, thank yeah. you for that perception. I feel like purity culture is like... In an, in its extreme forms, like a churchy thing, but I also think it's just like this vague thing that pervades like American society. So,
2: not right. surprised
0: that you feel affected.
2: Yeah, and you know what? That was actually one of my uh, initial questions I wanted to ask. Was I when I first heard of purity culture, I just made the assumption that it stems from religion. But that's not necessarily the case. A lot of people are affected by it. Like me, for instance, I never went to church. I wasn't, you know, unless it was for a wedding or mm-hmm. funeral or something like that. Same. But yet when I came out of the closet I and started having sex with men, I remember afterward, after the orgasm, I would have like full-blown panic attacks, like shame-induced panic attacks. And I'm like, this sounds like it probably stems from the same thing or something similar, you know?
0: Yeah, I would say that... I mean, even for those of us who were not raised in a church environment, myself included, purity culture gets, like, I mean, American is puritanical. The people that founded this country came here because they, like, wanted to have more conservative religious beliefs than the people in England. Stop! And that's just always permeated this society. So, you know, like... The first, like, white settlers in this country, they were just horrified by the indigenous people's, like, very different attitudes towards sex. And Americans have continued to be that way. And the, the church exacerbates it, encourages it. And so we get messages all around us that sexuality is shameful. Um, it's definitely, like, on steroids in a conservative church environment. But it's also just something that's, like, profoundly American.
1: I feel like purity culture is something a lot of folks, they know how it feels and maybe the ways that it's affected their sex lives, but they don't actually like know the definition of it or what it means. Mm -hmm. So can we just like backtrack? Like what is the elevator pitch of purity culture? What are we talking about when we use that phrase?
0: Totally. So in pretty much every major world religion, purity culture exists. It's the idea that like, it's always very binary in gender. So Mm. it's the idea that like women are supposed to be sexually pure and the virginity is a thing that is elevated to a status of like being very prized and very um, protected. And that sex is mostly for procreation and it's within like a heterosexual God or, you know, whatever deity sanctioned marriage. Mm. So that's like the broader definition of purity culture. But often when we're talking about it, Nowadays, we are referring to the American evangelical movement that really gained traction in the 90s and early 2000s that put these messages out to adolescents. Um, It was like a a concerted effort to like export this messaging to American teens. So it was done in youth groups. It was often done with abstinence only curriculums in schools that weren't even Christian schools. We had the proliferation of signing purity pledges or wearing purity rings. Um, True Love Waits is a company that came out, which was like a purity pledge Um, People could sign. And I know people signed those pledges in, in like secular schools. Um, So yeah, the purity movement was, it like boomed during that time period. And what we're seeing now is adults who were young then who were like, that really fucked me up and I'm ready to talk about it. Mm.
1: Are you seeing it
0: affect people
1: like of all populations who were exposed to purity culture growing up, or is it primarily affecting women or primarily affecting gender minorities or primarily
0: affecting queer people? That is such a good question because it is, it affects everyone in different ways, Um, Women bear the brunt and the burden of purity culture because so much responsibility, and again, very binary language there, but um, so much of the responsibility for other people's sexual feelings, thoughts, and actions rests on women. And it's explicitly stated, like, you can't cause your brothers in Christ to, quote, stumble. And that means, like, that... Showing a bra strap or wearing like a skirt too short, you were told like, this will distract the boys and it will let them stray from their godly path. And then it will be literally the fault of you. So imagine getting those messages all through your youth that your entire being, your very body was dangerous to other people. So that's how it you know women get that shit mm. and then men that grow up in purity culture are taught that all of their thoughts are bad and dangerous so i have worked with cis men they are the minority of my clients straight mm. cis men um but i've you know worked with straight cis men in their 30s who are so afraid to even find women attractive or communicate that they find women attractive because they were All of their sexual thoughts were pathologized from an early age where they were supposed to like tell their youth minister and be accountable for masturbating. Or like if they, you know, God forbid they ever viewed porn. That was like the very worst thing you could do. But even just being like, that's a hot girl was like, you were told that that is a sinful thought and that you need to banish it from your mind. So now we have men that are like, you know, just trying to have an adult relationship that cannot get over that kind of conditioning they had.
1: Wait, so what does it look like to not be able to get over it? Does it look like you're trying to have sex and like physically (sighs) not able to like sustain an erection? Like how does that permeate? Yeah.
0: Um, So many different ways, but I have worked with a lot of people who they they like kept their virginity for so long due to the teachings they were getting that now they're like in their 20s and 30s and have never had a relationship or a sexual experience. And they feel like, okay, great. Now it's a burden. And they're like, I don't know how to date. I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know how to accept my own desire. Um, so, you know, it runs the gamut, like the way that it affects people. It can affect you know, their relationships with their own bodies and their own desire and um, relationships with partners if they've even gotten that far.
2: Yeah. I feel like in a way when you wait or you've been told to, you know, wait, um, it puts sex up on such this pedestal that it becomes so intimidating that you're like, I've been waiting so long that now I'm terrified. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And for people, you know, they've been taught to wait till marriage, like, sanctioned heterosexual marriage in the eyes of God. And a lot of people aren't getting married young anymore mm-hmm. or they've realized they're queer and they're like, uh, whatever, I don't know what to do now. Um, and so you have people that are 20s, 30s and older who've just never had a sexual experience. And I don't even mean like the PNV traditional definition, but like any kind of sexual debut, um, any sort of like, physical intimacy in a sexual way.
2: Right, like, have you found that, um, given that we live in a more woke society, I guess you could say, um, has purity culture changed at all? Or, like, I recall a post you had about how they've rebranded themselves, you know, kind oh, of, yeah. and you made the comparison to, like, Weight Watchers as a... WW. Yeah. It's, like, it, I found that incredibly intriguing. I was wondering, like, how you found purity culture has kind of made the shift like I recall not too long ago wasn't well it was a while ago now but um weren't the Jonas Brothers like proponents
0: for I've it? heard. so yes um I'm like too old to have been really like into the Jonas Brothers but for people that are like you know younger millennials or people in their like 30s um yeah the Jonas Brothers and that yeah there were a bunch of celebrities that fell victim to purity culture and whose images fell victim to purity culture, including like Jessica Simpson, Britney mm-hmm. Spears, um, even Miley Cyrus was, you know, at one point like a virginity <laughs> example. It's yeah. very weird.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, how but- harmful to have like your sex life debated in the media spotlight as a teenager. I can't even imagine Hopefully. for them.
0: Yes, I mean that's a whole th- we could go on that tangent. Um, I want to answer Bobby's question about um, how purity culture kind of rebranded itself. Mm-hmm. so as more and more people are speaking out against it and there there are demonstrated harms like there's a fantastic book called Pure written by Linda K. Klein who is not just somebody that grew up in this culture but studied the way it affected all of her peers over like a long period of time. Um, so there there's like demonstrated evidence that people who were raised in purity culture exhibit some of the same behaviors and symptoms as people who experience childhood sexual abuse. It's like an interruption of your healthy sexual development, interrupting it not with like physical abuse, but with shame, silence, Mm -hmm. secrecy, all that stuff. Um so as more people are speaking out and saying that purity culture is bullshit, the church is like, ooh. Uh, What do we do? So they're trying to make it seem like, yeah, that was maybe a bad idea. Here's a better interpretation of biblical Christianity, but it's still a fucking biblical Christianity. So it's like, there's a woman that wrote a book called Talking Back to Purity Culture. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. But it's just her being like, that was the wrong way, but this is what God actually wants. So it's still like Christian control of sexuality. It's like, they're trying to make it seem like it's like the kinder, gentler but it's still the same bullshit.
1: Um, I was just, I guess I'm just wondering, like, how how do you navigate that from a sex education standpoint? Like, if, if we take religion out of it, who then is responsible for teaching kids about their bodies and sexuality and healthy relationships? Like, where does that learning come from, if not from the church?
0: Primarily, it should come from your family of origin. Um, but we have... I mean, I've worked with so many people whose families of origin were deeply, deeply part of the church. So, I mean, I've also worked with people who didn't grow up in religious families, but somehow got really involved in a youth group when they were like a teen and they got it that way. But yeah, for a lot of people, their parents were raised with sexual shame and their parents were never taught to be comfortable with the topic of sexuality. And then they just like reproduce that Shame on their kids, it's right. like generational. Um, so sex ed without any kind of religious influence is truly hard to find sometimes because mm-hmm. even in even in schools that are secular, a lot of the curriculum is influenced by the parents and the school board and the people that are elected to the school board, and there's so much conversation now about like you know, conservative parents are coming to school board meetings being like, you can't tell my kids that gender identity is a thing. And you can't tell Mm -hmm. my kids that like queer, you know, queer sex is valid and queer relationships are valid. So even when it's like done in a school, it is still like the religious shit just permeates everything.
2: Yeah. I also wanted to, we have to talk about your uh, purity culture dropout program. So like what, Mm -hmm. what, can you explain what that is? And, um, how you help people through that.
0: Yeah. So I use the, the purity culture dropout is kind of like an umbrella for, um, you know, sometimes I do webinars. Sometimes I run like support groups for queer people raised in purity culture. And the program itself is like an intensive one-on-one working with me where we do um, private calls where I basically unearth all the crap people were taught and all the messages they got. And, provide them with the sex education that is relevant to their experience in their life. So it can be different for for every client. Like I've worked with people that are like married and monogamous. I've worked with people that are like young and queer and just figuring stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, people that have a history of sexual trauma are going to get like different targeted info than people right. who never have that experience. Um, you know, people that have had Traumatic experiences at doctors and gynecologists, which happens all the time. Um, You know, we would focus on on stuff like that. Like everything is very highly individualized. So when I get a new client, I do this really big intake with them about all the you know their sexual experiences throughout their life, their sexual messaging they receive from their families, um, anything significant they that comes up for them, and we like process it together. And I provide them with all of the relevant information and education. So it's like, it is sex education, but it is done in a very like targeted way that also explores a lot of their own values and attitudes.
1: Wait, so how did you get here? Like, did you start as a regular old sex educator and then you noticed more and more that purity culture was affecting people? Yes. (laughs)
0: Okay. Yeah, that's what happened. I mean, mo- most of my career, I did I did the same type of intensive one-on-one work, but it was with kids in juvenile detention. So, you know, I'm working with like 13 to 20-year-olds in Philadelphia who were incarcerated. Um, and they were all people that had a lot of sexual trauma and baggage. And I don't mean like the purity culture stuff, but we're talking kids who had... Um, A lot of them were queer. A lot of them had sexual trauma, uh, violence in their communities. A lot of them had experienced, um, like, sex trafficking or have done sex work from a very young age, histories of STIs. like So those kids, I worked with them one-on-one to kind of prepare them to have the best sexual health outcomes that we could. And then when I, I, you know, I did that for so long and I knew there was nowhere to advance in the organization I was working for and I was like I want to be a sex educator that is self-employed. Mm. And I truly had no idea like how that would look. This was only a couple years ago. It was like 2019 that I left my full-time job. And it was just around that time that I was I, I had a small Instagram presence. It was like I had like 5,000 followers or something. But I started asking people questions like, "Hey, were you raised in purity culture? Did you sign a pledge? How did it affect you?" And the responses I got were just like so overwhelming. All wow. of these people that I wouldn't have expected. They were like, oh my God, I signed a pledge and that like it fucked me up and this happened and this happened. And I realized like not only is there such a – like a group of people that actually need – um targeted sex ed, but it just so happens that I'm looking (laughs) for like a niche in this work. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's where I shifted my focus. And what I found is that all the skills that I used with youth in detention are incredibly applicable. It's all like trauma-informed and client-centered. And so whether I'm working with like a 13-year-old trans girl in jail or a 45-year-old like married mom in Texas, it's the same stuff it's the same work it's the same information and it's the same like like methods that i use
2: hello bad and bed listeners it's your bestie bobby and as your self-designated bestie i want what's best for you and your penis if you have one of course that being said i cannot recommend the nos a cock ring from fun factory enough While the cock ring is expertly designed to stimulate the clitoris, I've personally found it effective at stimulating the prostate externally through the perineum in the missionary position since I primarily sleep with people with penises. And truth be told, I love me some missionary. Whether you slide it on a penis or a toy, the powerful dual motors and the ring's flexible extensions will turn whatever it's strapped to into the ultimate orgasm machine. Best part is, it's guaranteed to fit. If you want to get your hands and other things on the nose cock ring, visit funfactory.com and purchase one for yourself. You will not be disappointed. Actually, I wanted to, because we've been talking about uh, taking a pledge and everything. What, what is involved in that? Is it like paperwork? <laughs> like what? Oh does my God.
0: Work? It's, you can find purity pledge examples. Like if you Google image right now mm-hmm. and it is, I'm going to read you one. Um, oh, please do. I want to read you one because they're horrifying. <laughs> so I'm just like, if, if you've never seen one, here's an yeah. example. I am making a commitment to myself, my family, and my creator that I will abstain from sexual activity of any kind before marriage. I will keep my body and my thoughts pure as I trust in God's perfect plan for my life. Whoa. Um, another one says, I promise to God my future mate and myself, that I will keep my mind and body morally clean and pure so that when I enter the marriage covenant, I will be able to give myself with a completely clean conscience to my mate. I mean, this shit means that you were thinking of like your future husband and wife who don't even exist to you. And you're like, I'm not going to have sex because the guy that I marry in like 2040 might be pissed about it. So... (laughs) It is like my responsibility to take my future imaginary ass husband's feelings into consideration. <laughs> right. That's that's a purity pledge.
2: I was watching a lot of things earlier today to prepare for this, and there was one woman who was talking to the camera and was saying, um, I remember that my like group leader or whatever was saying um that every time someone has sex with like a a man because that's how they speak it's you can only have Mm -hmm. sex yeah and uh it's like putting a teaspoon of dirt into a otherwise clean glass of water and by the the more you do that no man is going to want to drink from a dirty glass and i was like that is horrible like
0: so that is one example of the metaphors they use but the metaphors that like these, these fucking youth group leaders, I know they think they're so clever, but the, the, you've probably heard the chewed up piece of gum one where they'll be like, if you have sex, you're a chewed up piece of gum and who wants to chew that gum? Oh, um, the goodness. teaspoon of dirt in a glass of water. I mean, they do these like object lessons in person where I've heard of one where they like ask all the kids to like eat some Oreos and then pass around a glass of water and I'll spit in it. And then at the oh. end, they're like... They're like, this is a woman that's had sex. Would you want this to be your wife? Oreo backwash. Oreo backwash. That's what we are.
2: (laughs) That's, I just, and I can see like being a young person, like that making sense because it's something right in front of you. And you're like, oh, that is disgusting. Like, yes.
0: Wow. And the perspective is always that sex dirties us, takes something away from us. There's also the the lessons where they're like, here's a beautifully wrapped piece of like a gift and you pass it around and everyone's supposed to like tear at it a little to indicate the damage that sex does. Mm -hmm. It's never viewed as like someone's having new experiences and maybe they're like learning or growing or becoming a better person. So, I mean, a lot of what I do is reframe that terrible, harmful shit.
2: Right. Like, is there only... So it sounds like they've got a lot of different metaphors that they like to use in their messaging. Is there ever, like... Do they ever give, like, measures that one should take? Like, if you have an impure thought, do this. Like, are there things that they try to teach that way? Oh, totally. I
0: mean, yeah, a lot of just, like, your faith. It's your faith. You turn back to your faith. You pray. You pray for forgiveness that you had that thought. And then you pray for strength that you won't have that thought again. But I've heard of... I mean, this is a little more fringe, but like I've worked with men who said that they ended up in these accountability groups as adolescent boys. And they were told, like, if you think sexy thoughts, snap this rubber band on your wrist. It's like physically do something painful to yourself so you don't so you don't have a sexual thought. My God. I mean, and think about, you know, these are just like 15-year-old boys that wanted to jerk off, and it was pathologized so deeply that 15 years later they're like i don't even i don't even know what it's like to just get an erection and like enjoy myself with it like they have no idea
2: right and i feel like especially now with the internet and social media and everything where you know less purity culture like values are easily accessed it would be especially hard to you know not touch yourself when you want to or you know other people just talking about it like if you follow any of us you know, mm-hmm. we're like trying to undo that messaging. But like I also feel like that would be really complicated internally for people who were raised that way. And I Gabby and I were both fortunate, I guess, to be raised with such sex positivity. But you know, yeah, yeah it just it just sounds absolutely awful and I thought that maybe men weren't as affected by it, but I can totally see where it's more psychological where it's like, Yeah, if you're having that thought then you're a bad person.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, women do bear the brunt of it and queer Mm. people because queer people and trans people are pretty much invisible in purity culture. Like, it's just like your very existence is offensive to God in that context. Um, But yeah, it's like men are definitely not immune. I I wish more of them would find my work and come to me, but we all know men are not socialized or conditioned to want to like talk about their feelings or Mm. feel like they can seek help. So I'm sure there are a lot of men out there who are affected who don't get any help for it or don't ever talk about it or have been raised to think that that's just normal. Right. For the, uh, for
1: the people who do seek out help, like what are some of the strategies or homework assignments that you use to help them get from when I have an erection, I don't enjoy it, to I have an erection and like maybe I can find some pleasure here?
0: Yeah. I mean, that specific um, problem when I, I worked with a guy that was struggling with that and, you know, he had been taught every time he had a sexual thought or feeling to suppress it. And I was like, let's try those tactics, but in reverse. Like every time you have one of those thoughts, like honor it, let it happen. Like consider it like a gift. Like, you know, that's that's one strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, but with clients, like some of the homework I give is letting themselves define their values For them, like they've been given a very specific set of values and told, like, these are the only values and you must adopt them. So, let asking folks to give themselves permission to create and identify their own values um, is huge. And it's often like really hard for people because they're always like, well, I I just, you know, the church told me what to do and now I want to know what to do. Like, you tell me how to be sex positive. (laughs) And I'm like, I could tell you what my values are, but the important thing is, like, To be sex positive is you have to like get comfortable with your own values. You have to decide like how, you know, what works for you. You know, if you decide that sex is something you only want to experience in marriage, that's fucking great. But what we have to get to is where you don't put that on every single person around you or feel like it's literally the only way to be. Um, So there is a lot of like uh, homework that requires people to actually sit down and think critically about what they believe, which is something they've, like, mm-hmm. never been given the opportunity to do.
1: And I kind of want to maybe use what Bobby's example earlier in the episode was. Like, for somebody who, mm-hmm. like, recognizes queerness within themselves and is, like, having sex with with similar or same-gender people, and then after that sex starts to feel, like, really guilty or ashamed, what would the homework assignment there be?
0: I mean, there is definitely a point I want to— be clear that like, I am not a therapist, so I don't Mm. have a clinical degree. Mm. When it comes to things like deep shame, I also, I refer to therapists and I recommend like, hey, the stuff you're dealing with is like, I've reached a limitation as Mm. like an educator and coach. So, you know, this is like deep ass trauma stuff. Let's work together to find you a therapist that is not going to come from a Christian perspective that is going to be queer positive, queer affirming. So in that way, our homework together would be like, let's think of other strategies to help you deal with this. And even sometimes knowing that there are therapists out there that would be queer affirming and queer positive Mm -hmm. and shame-free is really, really like that's education within itself. Um, Telling people what therapy is going to be like, telling people what kind of therapeutic relationship they deserve, um, teaching people how to find a therapist, like all Mm. of that comes into play. Right. Wow. Wow.
2: I'm curious on the queer perspective. It seems like purity culture and like conversion therapy would go hand in hand.
0: Yes, I have yeah. worked with folks who have experienced it. Um if if you are like this is a question that that's huge, but um a really fantastic advocate, educator and podcaster Kevin Garcia. Mm-hmm. Um Kevin is like a queer person, a queer like gender queer person who Grew up evangelical, went to conversion therapy, and is now like helps people come to a more, you know, a peaceful place with all of that. Um, But you're right, like conversion therapy, sometimes people get sent to programs and then sometimes the messaging just comes from within their own church. I've had people who were asked to like sit down and watch a, a video with a church leader that was like a deep ass conversion therapy video about how, you know, terrible it was and they were going to hell So yeah, I mean, conversion therapy wouldn't still exist and wouldn't have become what it is without churches. Like it is... Absolutely. It is religious based, you know? Yeah.
2: Um, When you were mentioning, you know, that queer people in, in any part of the community are seen as invisible. It's like, well, that makes sense because they still believe that it's just something in your head and they can change you. So it's like, well, you fix yourself and then you can come back. It almost... Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm like, I'm just going to say it. Like, so much of this shit is just emotional abuse. It's emotional abuse. It's spiritual abuse. It's manipulative. It's gaslighting. And evangelical, people that were raised evangelical, they don't just get this shit when it comes to sex. I mean they are taught from birth that they are inherently sinful and that the only way to redeem themselves is to like, get close to God and that as a person, they aren't shit. It's like, you're not shit until you are the most like godlike, or you have formed this relationship with God. And you know, I, I meet people who have now become friends of mine, who have become colleagues of mine, who were raised this way. You know, it, it just creates such a damaging, sense of self. Um, it makes people not trust their own desires and instincts or their own inner voice when it comes to anything, not just sex. Like if you're told like you're wrong, you're always going to be wrong. God is the only one that's right. Like people are like, I don't even have a gut instinct because I was Mm -hmm. taught to completely ignore that shit. It's just like straight up abusive. Damn. And I didn't grow up that way. So I learned so much from my clients. Um, I, I swear they, t- they teach me more than, you know, I can read books about it, but just hearing the stuff that right. they've gone through, that they were taught, the things that were said to them. Like, I have a client who, she was in a eating disorder program that was like Christian run. And she was told, I mean, the people that ran it weren't even licensed mental health professionals, but she was told as a teen girl, your eating disorder is a gift from God. Because it means that you won't like your body enough to have sex.
2: What? what? How do you even get there? You know, like my
1: yeah the gym the gymnastics that you have to go through to just yeah wow. So 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 just to affirm, people can move from
0: having grown oh, yeah. up in a purity culture
1: space <laughs> to
0: having pleasure. yes, to lives. totally. And it's my favorite thing. Like you know, the work I do with clients tends to be like intense and last a couple months. But undoing this shit is, is a long process. So mm. sometimes months or years after I work with a person, I get an email or a DM that's like, I just want to tell you that I had the best sex of my life or that I have a girlfriend now or that I came out to my parents. And it is so fucking rewarding and fun to read those emails. Like mm. this stuff does happen. Um, the healing ha- the healing happens, the joy happens. And there are some, in some ways, I think people raised in purity culture they think more critically about sexuality than, than those of us who weren't, because if they want to be like, have a happy, healthy relationship with their sexuality, they have to do so much inner work that a lot of us just never had to do. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I really see so much, like they're so thoughtful and intentional when it comes to sex and partnership and they are like, they don't take for granted um, that they, you know, can have sex that's enjoyable. So yeah, they're, some of the clients I have are just like the most incredible people that have done so much hard work. And I always tell queer ex-evangelicals that they're some of the most badass people I've ever met. Mm. Because like the three of us, like we realized we were queer at some point and we had the general societal bullshit of being queer to deal with, but we did not have a whole community in our ear telling us how disgusting and terrible we were. Mm. Like, I always think that queer ex-evangelicals are some of the toughest, strongest, amazing people I've ever met because they managed to, like, crawl up from that deep asshole of, you know, shame to to be Mm -hmm. themselves. And that's a battle that I didn't have to fight.
1: Oh my gosh, Erica, you are such a gift of an educator. Like talking to you has just been incredible. Can you tell folks like where they can find you and access this Purity Dropout Culture program and and anything else you want to plug?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, My website is purityculturedropout.com. So it's very (laughs) easy to find me. Um, I do the majority of my Reaching out to people through Instagram. So my Instagram account is ericasmith.sex.ed, and Erica is spelled with a C. Um, you know, I I run the queer support groups for people raised in purity culture on a kind of, you know, semi-annual basis. There's not really a schedule. It's just when I'm like, ah, I think I'm gonna run another group. So yeah, I encourage people to just kind of follow my work and keep up with you know, maybe sign up for the newsletter if they're interested in working with me in that way.
1: Oh my gosh. We can't recommend giving Erica a follow enough. Last night, Bobby was looking at Erica's content and was just kept sending me things being like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to talk to her. So.
0: Oh, thanks. That makes me really happy because I mean, both of you are such cool people and doing such important work too. And I just like, I love having peers that, you know, that we're all sharing this kind of value and content with each
2: other and we're all having a love fest together right now (laughs) (laughs) on next week's episode our special guest is my best judy and legendary drag queen tainomi banks We talk about how she and I met, sneak peek, it involves me losing my gay virginity, topping sexy men in drag, and Tainomi's experiences dating as a gay celebrity and drag queen. A reminder to follow Gabby and I on Instagram at Gabrielle Cassell and at By Bobby Box. You can also follow our fabulous sponsor Fun Factory at Fun Factory USA, our senior producer Vivian McCall at Pansy is Gay, and our newest producer Jeb Baki at Sarsaparilla underscore Sam. Music for the Bad in Bed podcast is provided by Hot Machine a project from Philly Band's Rubber Band Gun and Star Moles. Until next time, babes, we'll see you next week.